Hello and welcome to ABC Gotham, your New York City amateur history podcast. I am your host, Kathleen. And hi, it's Kate. And Kate is here as well. And we are here bringing you interesting, weird New York City history, one topic per letter of the alphabet. We are already up to episode U, the letter U. And Kate, what do we got for our listeners today? Well, tonight we have a brief history on the Underground Railroad in New York City, which mm-hmm. is pretty exciting, and it definitely will tie into our next episode, which, as always, will be a surprise, so you'll just have to wait and see what letter W is going to be. But for tonight, we're just going to bring you kind of back in time and just give you a quick glimpse into what life would have been like in New York City as an abolitionist as well as a an escaped slave com- mm-hmm, coming up mm-hmm. from the South trying to get into Canada. Uh, Canada is where you want to end up because you can't, they can't cross country borders. And by they, I mean the people who, the bounty hunters essentially who would come after you once you'd escaped mm-hmm. and try to drag mm-hmm. you back to where you came from. They can't, they can, I'm sure they can, but there were more, there were laws in place where states and officials in free states had to actually help these bounty hunters essentially find you. So, right. so this was the Dred Scott ruling. Uh, the Supreme Court ruled that it was, it was okay to uh, prosecute and punish an escaped slave and, and they had to go back to their owners because they were property. Right, exactly. And that was true even if they had escaped to a northern state and were, you know, uh, presumably maybe safe, you know, in our minds. They weren't. They had to get to Canada. Settling here was not really a realistic option. There's always the danger of being caught and sent back and bad things would happen then. Yeah, just keep going as far north as you can. Canada, however, wasn't perfect there was a lot of racism in canada as well but mm-hmm. at least mm-hmm. you were you knew you couldn't be dragged back mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. to kind of bring you up to date on where we are the the laws that kind they kind of morphed over the years to become more strict originally the fugitive slave law of 1793 put the responsibility of finding runaway slaves to the state in which the escape happened so, mm. if you escape from Mississippi, it's Mississippi's problem. It's not New York's problem where you end up. It's Mississippi's problem. This kind of changes in 1850, though, and suddenly the law states that any official of free states must assist these slave catchers, and these so-called slave catchers were granted immunity to do their job. So, kind of whatever they had to do to find you, they're mm-hmm. just kind of giving carte blanche. And so this really, you have a bit of Underground Railroad before here, but this is really where the Mm -hmm. Underground Railroad starts to pick up. Uh, It's, in case you're wondering, it is neither Underground nor a railroad. (laughs) It is, uh, it's called Underground. Something that is an eternal mystery to school children, because that... It doesn't make sense. It That's really what I thought when I was a kid. I imagined a train. I did too. Going underground. I pictured it. It was kind of like the subway. Yeah. I feel very silly now. But no, it's underground because obviously it's an underground resistance. And railroad, mm-hmm. actually, I was, I really didn't find this out until now. Uh, it's called a railroad because they used a lot of rail terminology as their code words. So the right. people who help you find the railroad are agents or shepherds. 
Uh, mm-hmm. The guides that take you on the Underground Railroad are conductors. Hiding places are stations. Uh, the mm-hmm. people who actually hide will ha- will hide you are station masters. Uh, es- nice. uh, escaped slaves are passengers or cargo. And uh, actually, when you say a, a terminology for actually finding the under- Underground Railroad and being taken out was called obtaining a ticket and ah. financial benefactors were stockholders <laughs> wow. I, I, it's a very expensive think about you know you have to all the transportation feeding and clothing mm-hmm. you know you and I'm sure bribing you have to bribe people in order to get you know to get to get you out Kathleen we have to bribe i'm sure mm-hmm. we have to bribe a lot of people there are some really yeah, amazing yeah. stories which are not new york centric so i don't want to go too much into them but um one of my mm-hmm. favorite stories is actually about the crafts who escaped from Macon Georgia it's a husband and wife and she mm-hmm. was actually able to pass as white and then uh. had her husband pass as her slave but uh, a white woman would never be traveling unaccompanied with a man. With a man, so they had to pass her uh, as a white young man on this travel. It's what I really recommend looking up. Um, Ellen Craft is her name. Um, just listening mm-hmm. to this, her story and how she was able to escape. Really amazing mm-hmm. in that. That's they did all kinds of things. So she, she couldn't read or write. So to keep her from having to sign mm-hmm. any paperwork, they put her arm in a sling because nobody's going nice. to ask a gentleman <laughs> uh, to sign something if his arm is obviously broken. They also wrapped her mm-hmm. body in uh, warm cloths and it, all mm-hmm. the time. They changed the bandages all the time. And they said it was because she had rheumatism, or he, as she was posing, uh, had rheumatism mm-hmm. You know, th- there was lots of she passed as deaf sometimes so that people couldn't ask her questions. It was, it's this really, really scary story to, to listen to, but they did escape. Um, it's an amazing story. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They escaped to um, Philadelphia and then go off to London, which a lot of um, slaves that came through New York City even passed on to Europe mm-hmm. and Mexico were other places that were safe to go to. Yeah, yeah, but the U.S. was definitely not, yeah. No, no. All right, so to bring us back to New York, now that Mm -hmm. we've gone everywhere, Mexico, London, slavery ends in New York in 1827, Mm -hmm. Uh, but Mm -hmm. even though it's illegal here, it's also illegal to aid fugitives from the South. That's correct. Yeah, it's still... It's still not a, a safe country. And, and we like to think of ourselves, we are the Northerners. You know, we were on the, we were on the right side of history. We helped fight against slavery in the Civil War. But of course, it was quite a bit more complicated than that. And yeah, a, a slave who manages to escape and come to the Underground Railroad is not safe in New York City. There are mixed feelings in the city at the time. There were a lot of, there's a lot of sympathy for the Confederacy. There are very strong commercial ties to the South. And, of course, as we discussed in the uh, episode with riots, we had this growing immigrant population here that was quite annoyed, uh, murderously annoyed, in fact, about the drafts that could be coming up. So there were divided sympathies 
among New Yorkers for both the Union and the Confederacy. So when southern states began seceding, uh, this is after Lincoln was elected, New Yorkers in general supported a war to maintain the Union, but there were a couple of uh, very important exceptions, one of whom was the mayor. So this was Mayor Fernando Wood. He won re-election in his second term. This is serving from 1860 to 1862. He was sympathetic to the Confederacy, and this group of New York Democrats who were sympathetic to the Confederacy were called Copperheads by uh, Unionists. So this is a period of national crisis immediately preceding the Civil War. The Democratic mayor, Fernando Wood, proposed the secession of the city as a sovereign city-state to be called the free city of Tri-Insula. So that's three islands, meaning uh, Manhattan, Long Island, and Staten Island. He wanted wanted to secede so that uh, they could maintain profitable cotton shipping with the South. That's amazing. And what's really weird, it didn't happen, but but it was suggested, seriously suggested. What's really weird is there is a town upstate, in upstate New York. This is not in New York City, but this is in the state. It's called Town Line. Town Line? Have you heard of it? Town Line? No, no. What a strange name. Yeah, right. They did vote to secede from the Union. They contributed several troops to the Confederacy. Town Line did not rejoin the Union until 1946. Are you serious? They were just an outside entity? How do you, how do you not rejoin the Union? They're uh, like, you know, the, I, think, the... I think we're doing okay. I think we're all right. We're pretty self-sustaining <laughs> over here. We're good. We're good. We're fine. No, no, it's cool. It's cool. They say its residents paid taxes during its time, quote, out of the Union, which amounted to 85 years. So I'm not sure what that is how taxes are different for towns that are in the union and out of the union i i'm i'm not too sure but this is you know professor wikipedia told me so it's got to be true right is townline new york did not rejoin the union they're totally deluding themselves they're like no you know what <laughs> screw you guys uh we'll pay we'll pay our taxes we're not here but we're, yeah, we're totally yeah, we're, not we're here we're there. our own country it's called townline Look it up. Yeah, yeah. It's I'm sorry very, if you're. I'm sorry strange. I find this so funny, but and I, I, I hope none of our listeners are offended by my making <laughs> fun of Townline for not rejoining the union. How do you? What do you like? The paperwork sits around. Why didn't you join the union until 1946? I imagine one person who's supposed to turn in the paperwork is like, oh crap. <laughs> <laughs> for generations, yeah. <laughs> Eighty-five years. That's three generations out of the union. So yes, so obviously New York City is not like a fully sympathetic area to the uh, to the escaped slave. In addition, secret agents from the Confederacy had been in New York City during the war. They were providing information on troop strengths, political views, shipments. They were sending all that information back to Richmond. Some of these agents actually wanted to... Um, they planned this act of terrorism for Election Day in November of 1864. They were going to burn down several leading city hotels. This didn't happen. The plot was foiled. Uh, there was a double agent who turned the information over to uh, federal officials, and then there was a massive military presence, and so this didn't happen. But on November 25th, so a couple weeks after Election Day, 
they did strike, and the saboteurs set fires at several hotels and other leading landmarks, including P.T. Barnum's museum. And they, the firefighters did extinguish most of the blazes, and the conspirators fled to Canada, which is apparently where you go. All right, so this brings us to the situation of, uh, of the Underground Railroad within New York City itself. So an escaped slave makes their way up here. Finally, they're in New York. And where are they? And who are they dealing with? So a lot of this takes us to our favorite borough. And we got to focus more on like Staten Island, the Bronx next, in our next, next go through. Because next year, I promise, we'll give so a little neglected more love. them. <laughs> yes, <laughs> they're so neglected. But yes, this brings us to Brooklyn. Right now, before I start on this, I want to make a special call out to John Strasberg, who wrote a really, really good article in the New York Times, 2007, about the uh, Underground Railroad in Brooklyn, in New York City, but specifically Brooklyn ridiculously helpful for the research with this episode. So thank you very much, John Strasberg. Yes, thank you. And there'll be a link to that excellent article. But yes, so Brooklyn has this extensive waterfront. It has large population of African-American freemen because slavery ended here in 1827 and a lot of anti-slavery churches and activists. So Brooklyn was big, very important on the Freedom Trail Sometimes runaways stayed here, even though, as we said, this is very risky. You could get captured and returned. Most of them traveled on to Canada. So it was illegal, like Kate was saying earlier, it was illegal to help. You you would be in, in big trouble helping slaves escape, feeding them or, you know, putting them up for the night or anything like that. And there was still a lot of pro-slavery sentiment among merchants, like I was saying, they still were doing business with the South. So this was all clandestine. And for this reason, it can be tricky for historians to really nail down exactly who, exactly where, because you didn't write this stuff down. You right, didn't this want to is get all caught. You didn't word of mouth. Even mm-hmm, even mm-hmm. the you didn't the send people... letters. You didn't uh, you didn't testify about this. This was all literally to some extent underground. So so one of the things that uh, that John Strasberg mentioned in his article is corroborating documentation is scarce, and this comes up a lot later when they're trying with uh, modern efforts to protect maybe possibly historical buildings that were part of the Underground Railroad, that it's just really difficult to prove something like that. So, but we'll get to that. Yeah, how do you prove a rumor? Um, It's impossible. Exactly. I mean, mean, all they can do is point to different architectural details and, you know, here's this space that's a little bit, a little bit hidden. Maybe slaves were kept here. You don't don't know. It's hard to say because there aren't documents so before the Civil War, we are we are talking about the waterfront in Brooklyn. There's lots of ships, a lot of cargo vessels bringing cotton, bringing all those other goods from the south, and sometimes bringing slaves. Sometimes they managed to get on the boats, stowaways, then they would get off the boats and then just sort of disappear into Brooklyn, and then they were hidden and helped along on the journey. Yes, like Kate was saying, it got this railroad imagery, the Underground Railroad. So by the 1830s, there were station masters and conductors, stations and depots, and a lot of Brooklyn churches were participating 
Plymouth Church of the Pilgrims is just a few blocks from the promenade, so right by the waterfront. It's on Orange Street. It's between Hicks and Henry Street. This was called the Grand Central Depot. It is still around today. There is a big statue of Henry Ward Beecher. Who's Henry Ward Beecher, Kate? So, Henry Ward Beecher, he, of course, was the brother to Harriet Beecher Stowe, Uncle Tom's Cabin. Mm-hmm. And he, this church was, when this church was built, he's actually the very first preacher in charge of this church, which is amazing. Like, it's a, it's a big abolitionist church, and then they brought him in, and he actually received some death threats, um, once he took mm-hmm. over the church, because he's, he's mm-hmm. really well known as an abolitionist. Mm-hmm. Some really amazing uh, people spoke at the church, including Sojourner Truth, Frederick Douglass, William Lloyd Garrison. Mm-hmm. President Lincoln came to the church as well, and the, there's a pew marked where he sat. Um, it's a really mm-hmm. beautiful church. I really recommend going to see it. It's mm-hmm. founded, which I think I missed, but it was founded in 1847. And it really was, he was instrumental in helping the Underground Railroad movement in New York. He actually used to mm-hmm. stage mock slave auctions in the church. Yeah. Where he would bring an escaped slave to the front of the church. And mm-hmm. essentially he would get the congregation to bid to buy the captives freedom. And so they'd pass around this right. bucket and they would drop in jewelry, they'd drop in money. Uh, usually a story would go along and they'd say, you know, where the person came from, what they had to do to get to where they were. It was really effective. They could raise, mm-hmm. uh, in one sitting, I think they raised $900, which today would be $10,000. Mm-hmm. Amazing. And this is not just Brooklyn parishioners. People would flock from Manhattan to come to this church because it's so well known in the abolitionist movement. Yeah, and he was, I mean, it sounded like he was very theatrical and he knew how to put on a show. He also was very fiery. He was very, very abolitionist, like a lot of people. So he wasn't uh, subtle about it. He wasn't quiet about it. He was trying to get people on fire and furious about it. And yeah, people came in from, from all over the city to to hear him speak and it worked yeah he's the station master of grand central like it's it's pretty amazing he people were Mm -hmm. hidden in the church as well as he would pass them along to other homes to hide right these people that had escaped such Mm -hmm. terrible uh conditions and i mean we do talk you know there were a lot of people that escaped but not Actually, that many when you figure, I think they figured maybe a thousand people a year, which mm, when wow. you look at the the large numbers of people enslaved, that's not a really big number. They're saying mm-hmm. all in all, through years and years of working this, maybe it's disputed, but maybe 30,000 people escaped. That's really not mm-hmm. a lot of people. It's a drop in the bucket, uh, but really... Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Places like Plymouth Church were a haven, you know, full mm-hmm. of people to help mm-hmm. as much as they could, money or position. Right. And, of course, it took more than just Grand Central. It took more than just the church to, to help you. They took other people, and um, and there is a street nearby, which is now called, what is it called? 
abolitionist place. So, uh, and this is about 10 minute walk from Plymouth Church. So this is at the corner of Fulton and Duffield Streets is where there are a couple of buildings that may or may not have been involved with the Underground Railroad. Again, there's no documentation. There's no way to say for sure. But wait till you hear what they say. So uh, they've renamed a stretch of Duffield Street Abolitionist Place. The abolitionists Tom and Harriet Truesdell lived at 227 Duffield Street. This is in the 1850s. And William Harned, a Underground Railroad conductor, lived near Duffield and Willoughby Streets, also right in that area. So I uh, checked the map and just looking for any kind of um, local landmarks. But the areas, the three homes that we are talking about, 227 and 233 Duffield Street, and then also 436 Gold Street, are sort of near the juniors on Flatbush, for those of you in Brooklyn or those of you visiting Brooklyn. Um so currently, or at least at the time of uh, of the New York Times article in 2007, a uh, woman, Joy Chattel, is a cosmetologist. And she lives at 227 Duffield. And Louis Greenstein is a retired city employee who owns 233 Duffield. They believe their homes, probably dating back to the 1840s, were stops on the Underground Railroad. So if you look in the sub-basement at 233, um, the Mr. Greenstein took the journalist down, showed him what appeared to be a capped well and an exit shaft to hmm. the surface. Former tenants told him of finding old stoves and iron cauldrons there. Wow. Those have been since removed. So this led him to believe that his house was a feeding station for escaped slaves passing through Brooklyn. Ms. Chattel said that years ago she looked through this opening in a neighbor's sub-basement to see what she thought was an abandoned subway tunnel under Duffield Street. So there's like a low arch in her own sub-basement. Wow. And it's sealed off with a large stone that could lead to the tunnel. No subway has ever run below Duffield Street. There's no reason there should be a tunnel there. So Ms. Jettel and Mr. Greenstein speculate that this tunnel was used by the Underground Railroad and might have led to the former Bridge Street African Wesleyan Methodist Episcopal Church, which was the first African-American church in Brooklyn and was a known depot on the Underground Railroad. And that is just two blocks away from where we're talking. Wow. I, I really want them to excavate that. I know. I want to take a look. Um, as, as we've said over and over, Mr. Greenstein acknowledges that they only have circumstantial evidence. They have no, no proof, no way to tell. Um, a planning and environmental firm commissioned by the city found no conclusive proof of their claims. Uh, but the consultants made no attempt to excavate the tunnel. So they, and what they say in their notes, which is true, unfortunately, is that even if a tunnel was discovered, there's no way of knowing that if it served as a passage for freedom seekers without corroborating artifacts, which wow. is sad but true. And yeah, yeah. Well, I before we head into Manhattan, uh, I'd mm -hmm. like to bring up one last church in Brooklyn, the Lafayette Presbyterian mm -hmm. Church on Vanderbilt Avenue over in Fort Greene. Uh, it's mm -hmm. a beautiful, really enormous church. It was actually built as... Again, one of those churches that was built 
by abolitionists, uh, mm-hmm. a small group of about 35 to 40 abolitionists got together and then just uh, pulled their money together to build this amazingly large church. It was built and finished towards the end of the Underground Railroad, but uh, I've actually been in the tunnels under oh, the church. Oh, my gosh. What? Um, they, they can't really say... It's it's like everything else. They can't really say... Mm-hmm. I don't know. That it was definitely the Underground Road. Much like everything that we've said, it's, it's all speculation, but... If you go in the tunnels, which I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not saying they give tours at all. Uh, this was a very special. How did special, you get there, Kate? I was volunteering at the church when I was in college, mm-hmm. and uh, doing some community service. And they offered to give us a tour of the tunnels. They're hard to get to. They're not easy to find. Um, uh-huh. and they're very low and it's all compact dirt down there. And what it is, is there's like a, a long, not super long, but a hallway. And then there are, mm-hmm. uh, doors, maybe four, from what I remember, four doors, maybe six. And then you look back mm-hmm. and there are rooms. And then supposedly there are rooms behind that. So they kind of keep going. <sighs> So that wow, you could, it would be easy to hide people back there because they get so dark. Like they they had mm-hmm. lanterns, uh, electric lanterns hanging when I went down there, but there's no light mm-hmm. at all in the back rooms, and they're all really just compacted dirt spaces. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I I I it's a little I can't imagine being having to hide down there. Um, yeah, I, it, I I'm a little scared of the dark. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> and, and closed in spaces, but it was really amazing to see, and it really kind of made it much more real being able to go into this space. Uh, but wow. and and again, it's the same thing. They're like it probably was. We they're like it probably it was. was, but then of course you have people we conflicting who are like, "Well, this was created towards the end," and I'm like, "They didn't know yeah. how long this was going to go on for." Of course, they would have sure. continued to build these stations. True. Uh, true. That's. My personal and several several people's opinion is that uh, yes, it was a stop on the Underground Railroad. Uh, but you wow. can see like what a big part all these churches play in mm-hmm. in helping people escape. Um, well, as we said, um, Brooklyn was not the only borough getting in on the Underground Railroad. One other stop on the Underground Railroad was actually was in Manhattan. We've passed over. Brooklyn is is good for the Underground Railroad because, as we talked before, you have all the shipyards and everything up and down. You know, especially the, what becomes the Brooklyn Navy Yard. But you do, of course, Manhattan has lots of you know places to cut ports and waterfronts as well. Sure. So. That was also another way in. Uh, another church that was involved was the Mother African Methodist Episcopal Church. It's the first mm-hmm. black church, actually, in New York State. It's founded in 1796. This wow. church is also known as the Freedom Church and, of course, becomes part of a big part of the Underground Railroad. It's... Uh, a big, uh, we also have some of the same people stopping through. Frederick Douglass, Harriet mm-hmm. Tubman, Sojourner Truth. Uh, it's actually, um, it used to be at the corner of Church and Leonard Street, I believe, 158 okay. Church Street. But the, the actual present day church has moved to Harlem, uh, in 1925. Mm. There is a plaque on Leonard Street 
uh, mm-hmm. telling you where the so-called abolitionist church was, but the actual address is a few blocks away. So you'll find the plaque at one place, but the actual church used to be, well, is, um, used to be at 158 Church Street. So there's a discrepancy between okay. the plaque and the church. Um, that's annoying. So we have churches, um, we're in Manhattan, lower Manhattan at this point, um, mm-hmm, pub- mm-hmm. You know, private homes were also really, as we talked before about Brooklyn Heights, the abolitionist place, you also have, you have a lot of private homes and people who step up to help anyone in Very need. Very courageous people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and one in particular, and, and a location we have, uh, is in Tribeca, we think, probably. And this is David Ruggles. He was born a free African-American, born in 1810 in Connecticut. He moved to New York. He was a, a seaman and a grocer. And then he became a leader in the abolitionist movement. So he had a three-story home at 36 Lispinard Street. Lispinard, right? Lispinard, yeah. Uh, he operated a bookstore, he printed anti-slavery pamphlets, he wrote for African-American newspapers, and he opened his house to slaves fleeing the South who needed a place to stay. Um, and this is through the 1830s and the 1840s. They say an estimated 600 slaves hid out in his townhouse on Lispinard Street. Amazing. Amazing. That is, that just sounds like such a huge number. His most famous guest was in 1838, Frederick Douglass who wrote uh, in the century in 1882 with Mr. Ruggles on the corner of Lispinard and Church Streets. I was hidden for several days. So David Ruggles, nice work there. Okay, the thing about David Ruggles' mm-hmm. home is that the building, the original townhouse, it was demolished. So it's not the same mm-hmm. uh, structure that used to be, but... Right. Uh, the if- if you go to the location now, it's not the same building. But uh, actually, the basement is original, so it was built on the same what? footprint. So there could still be some proof down there, but like everything else, it's, you know, what we could see as part of the Underground Railroad could have just been, mm-hmm. like, an additional, like, room in the basement or... Sure. You know, it's very hard but, to But, I mean, tell. it sounds pretty... pretty uh pretty consistent here like you know some so few places have actual proof that we can right. we know that they were part of it but we've got an actual writing from actual frederick Douglass who talks about mr ruggles on the corner of lispinard and church right i think right. we could count on this one yeah. but but yeah I'm, don't go there to look for artifacts just be rude it's someone's house and it's nice to know that to know about at least one location you know at least a, a definite, there in plymouth yeah. we know it really went through there yeah yeah as uh, as Kate just said, that building in Tribeca at 36 Lispinard has been demolished. There's a new building there. So there is only one existing building in Manhattan, a building that is still standing that we know was part of the Underground Railroad. So this is a row house in Chelsea, 339 West 29th Street. This was built in the 1840s, and the street was then called La Martine Place. Number 339 was owned by James S. Gibbons and his staunch abolitionist wife, Abigail Hopper Gibbons. According to the Landmarks Preservation Committee report that declared the house and its neighbors the Lamartine Historic District, they said in his memoirs, the American lawyer and diplomat Joseph Hodges Choate, who was a friend of the Gibbons family, recollects dining with the Gibbons and a fugitive slave at number 339 in 1855, 
citing the residence as a stop on the Underground Railroad. So that is their proof. And you can visit number 339, West 29th Street. You can visit that now. I believe there is a plaque there and everything. And that is the only known Underground Railroad site in Manhattan. Yeah, the one we can definitely say yes. Yeah. yeah. It still exists. and still stands there. I'm pretty sure it's a private residence, though, so... Yeah, you can't... We're not telling you to go to the door and and beg to be (laughs) let in, but... But anyone can read a plaque. That is what plaques are for. Exactly. If you do want to try to take some tours uh, regarding the Underground Railroad, uh, we have a few Mm -hmm. that we'll give links to on our... Uh, website, and maybe we'll put you them on Facebook You can look down. They're well. right there. There they are. There See? they are. Um, so one <laughs> such tour, um, Inside Out Tours, uh, gives a tour, I believe it's $35. There's also another mm-hmm. tour on viator.com. So check them out. Let us, if you do it, let us know. We're, we're pretty fascinated. Yeah. Uh, we've been trying mm-hmm. to get into a lot of tours lately. And we're so, big fans of tours. Yeah, we are. So we'd love to, uh, <laughs> we'd love to hear back from you guys if you take one of these. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, definitely. Well, that is all we have to tell you about the Underground Railroad in New York City, but we hope it was interesting. We hope you learned something you didn't know before. Yeah, we hope there's a little more of the New York puzzle, you know, filled in for you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we will be back next time. We will be talking about letter W. That's the one that comes after you. Oh my goodness, the end is near. The end is near. Kate. So close. It's so close. We hope you've enjoyed sad? the alphabet with us. I'm a little sad, mm-hmm. but you know, there's always the alphabet again. There's so much more. Yep. There's so much more. We we've decided to go through the alphabet again. Yes. If there's anything we missed this turnaround, we we definitely have some ideas for the next go around. But if there's anything we missed this time around, please sending us send us a message on Facebook or on our website and let us know. Or anything you're interested in, anything you want to hear more about, this is the time. Speak up and let us know because we are compiling our list for what uh, what we'll be discussing in the next go through. And we want your input. We need your input. Yeah, we'll try to keep these episodes coming pretty quickly frequently since it's so cold out we know you guys just want to stay inside so yeah us too we'll uh we'll see you soon and uh try to stay warm yeah yeah thanks for listening we'll talk to you next time bye bye for more abc gotham go to our website abcgotham.podbean.com special thanks to podcasting's brock The music for ABC Gotham is by Big Rude Jake. ABC Gotham is a K2 production, copyright 2012, all rights reserved. I wish you could be here with me on this night of New York City. So uh, there's a plaque that will let you know where the original church was, but 
mm-hmm. it's you know it's the the uh, you know everything gets re <laughs> um, um you just start over yeah <clears throat> so um there is a plaque on Leonard Street 